You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading this morning is from Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are grateful that you are here and joining us this Sunday, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to teach from God's Word. We're continuing a series titled The Pilgrim's Progress, where we are looking at the Psalms of Ascent. We're in Psalm 122. Now, here's how I want to begin. For decades, the church has had had this sort of unofficial motto, and it goes something like this. The church isn't the four walls. The church is the people. The church is in the four walls. But the funny thing is, I don't really hear that phrase anymore, not at least since the beginning of March. Now, when this season had just begun, the season of social distancing and gathering restrictions, I was hearing this left and right as an attempt to give men and women courage and hope, like, hey guys, it's going to be okay because the church is in the four walls and this is going to be great. I want my money back. And I I think that phrase was quickly abandoned. And here's why. Because clearly there's something that we had within the four walls that is now missing in our digital exile, in our season of displacement. Something that no amount of creative digital content or thoughtful home liturgies or really anything can replace. Now sure, don't hear me wrong, The church isn't the four walls. The church is the people, and we are still the church. But what I guess I'm trying to say is that the church isn't abstract. The church isn't just a concept, this like ethereal thing that's floating around in space or floating around in cyberspace. No, the church has been and always will be real people bound to real space. And I think what we're realizing today is that we've been so busy trying to like get outside the walls of the church that we have overlooked the real life and substance that is found within. The encounter and experience of presence, of proximity, and protection within, 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 
and within four times, the psalmist reminds us of the blessing that is found within the, the distinct time and place where the community of faith gathers together to worship the living God. Now, for the ancient Hebrew, this was within Jerusalem, which was the center of religious and social life for the nation of Israel. It was the place of the tabernacle in the days of David and later the, the temple. And it was the place that the many diverse tribes would come from near and far and gather three times a year to worship. But what made this experience so special was not, you know, the buzz of being in the big city or the ornate buildings like, oh my gosh, isn't this beautiful? And it wasn't even the social experience per se. No, what made the heart of the psalmist, quote, glad and the many generations to follow, so glad, was the invitation to come to a place where they could together encounter the presence of God most fully. What do we experience within the community of believers? The first thing we see here is we experience the presence of God. The presence of God. Now, the presence of God is what made uh, the 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 nation of Israel distinct among all nations. It wasn't their size. It wasn't their creativity, their ingenuity, their wealth, their wealth, or anything in and of themselves. What set them apart was the gracious presence of God among them. God's distinct presence was with this people. Now, you may be asking, well, wasn't God present outside of the walls of Jerusalem? Of course. That's not being questioned here. In fact, in Jerusalem, a generation later after David, his son Solomon, at the completion of the temple, would proclaim, God, even the highest heavens can't contain you, let alone this temple that we have built with human hands. God, you can't be contained. You're not like stuck in Jerusalem. But this was the place that God chose to abide. We're told right here that this is the house of the Lord. The place that God had ordained to be at the very center of the worshiping community. Earlier in scripture, the, the children of Israel were told this in Deuteronomy chapter 12. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all the, uh, your tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there. There you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. So imagine with me someone says, hey, I'm going to meet you here at such and such place at such and such a time, okay? Say, for instance, they're like, oh, guys, the smoke is gone. We can go sit outside. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go meet you at Stone Creek. There's a nice little fountain there where the kids can run around, and I'll be there at this time, at this place, the day of your meeting, at that time, you wake up that day and you're like, you know what, I really love and I really appreciate this person. But you know where I really connect with them? In the forest, on a nice hike, a nature hike. That's really where I connect with this person. Or you know where I really see this person? It's when I'm on a beach by myself and I, I see the sunset, I'm like, oh, just, I really feel connected with this person. Let alone, there's that person at Stone Creek outdoors saying, yeah, but I told you I would be here. This is where I told you we would meet. This is where I told you 
to meet me. When God says, I'm going to be here, seek me here for worship, I don't know. It seems pretty, like, pretty much like a given. We seek him there. What does that mean for us today? Well, today, because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who is the once and for all sacrifice, the, the now high priest, the mediator of God's presence, we're told that the crucifixion, that the veil in the temple was torn, we are immediate access to the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Because of this Jesus, what Jerusalem was for the Israelite, listen to me, the church is now for the Christian. Because of Jesus and all that he's done for us, what Jerusalem was for the Israelite, the church is now for the Christian. And just like Jerusalem was never able to contain God, the church can't contain God. But It is where God's presence is encountered in a special way. Just this morning as we were praying outdoors with some uh, men and women from the church gathered together and we were just praying together and there's just a clear sense of the presence of God, one of the women in our church said, Lord, this place is a sacred place. This is sacred space because you are here with us. If you remember our time in the book of Revelation, Jesus is described as the one that walks among the golden, the seven golden lampstands. And if if you remember from our time, what that means is that Jesus walks distinctly among the local churches. He's with the local church. Where where is God in the world? Well, Well, generally, he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. But where is he particularly? Particularly, He's with his church. That's where we ought to seek him. In Ephesians chapter 2 in the New Testament, we're told this, in him, speaking of Jesus, the whole building, now think about this Jerusalem-like language, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built alone? No, Being built in your little quiet time on the beach? No. (laughs) Together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Why should you be committed to the church? Because Jesus is committed to the church. And why is Jesus committed to the church? Because Jesus is forever committed to dwelling among his people. And this is the place of his habitation. This is his home. Now, this awareness of the presence of God among us is what God uses to keep his church like lively and engaged and active in this world. In fact, uh, uh, J.I. Packer, who most recently went home to be with the Lord, he wrote in a book, God in Our Midst, that there are these constants, these variables that we see throughout all biblical and historic revivals. And he said these words, he says, the first and foundational feature in revival is the sense that God has drawn awesomely near in his holiness, mercy, and might. In other words, what we will see first in revival is when the church awakens to the reality that God is with his people. God is in our midst. Oh my gosh, I'm undone. He begins to awaken the church. Now, Despite the fact that the Bible seems to be really clear that God intends to be near his church, the trends of today continue to indicate 
that people are separating themselves from the church more and more. In fact, this is even particularly true in the COVID season. It's been estimated that in upwards of 50% of previously engaged young adult Christians have separated themselves from the church over the last six months. 50% of previously committed people now disconnected and floating alone in this COVID season. What we need to remember is that just as Jerusalem was at the center of worship for Israel, so the church remains at the center and heart of what God is doing in the world, but particularly what God is doing in the life of the believer, whether that's a season where we are within the walls or seasons like right now where we're scattered about and singing from our homes. God is present with his people. Can I get an amen? What else do we experience within? Secondly, we experience proximity to others. Proximity to others. Now, the lungs uh, of the church inhale and exhale. There's an exhale and an inhale. The, the exhale or that like centrifugal force is where we are sent out into the world uh, to go make disciples. Jesus' final words to his disciples in Matthew 28, go therefore into all the nations and make disciples. So we're, we're, we're a sent people sent out from the center. But the primary direction that God desires for our lives, I believe, is centripetal. That, that movement inward toward the center. Yes, we are sent out. That is very true of us. We're sent out into the nations to gather men, women, and children. But why? To bring people close. To bring people into covenant relationship with God and his people. God desires proximity with and for his people. The heart of God is not to just like save you and then fling you out into oblivion and then just keep you in a place of loneliness. No, the heart of God is to bring you close. God wants to, God desires so deeply for you to be close, near his heart and near his people. In fact, the New Testament would sum up the mission of Jesus Christ like this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were once far off, but the cross of Christ changes that. You've been brought near. And now for the Christian, we have been inextricably bound together through Jesus Christ. Just like the stones in Jerusalem were fit tightly together, this architect, these architects designed this place to be fit tightly together. So we, as the New Testament would describe, are these living stones that are being fit tightly together. Now, there was a Netflix series, kind of a weird, trippy, uh, I don't recommend it, kind of Netflix uh, series a few years ago, a few years, a few years ago called Maniac. And Oh, where do I begin? Okay, it was a story of these test subjects that entered into this experiment for a pharma company, and the scientists put these, these test subjects into this sort of comatose state where then in their dream world, they had to go back and relive painful uh, parts of their history. But because of a system error, two of these test subjects, their dream worlds begin to overlap. Their lives become inextricably bound. And so the scientists that are controlling this experiment, 
uh, try everything they can to separate them. In fact, one of the doctors says, every time I separate them, they just find their way back together again. Every attempt to divide, they just seem to kind of like find their way back. And what this illustrates for us is that centripetal force of the Christian life, the blood of Jesus Christ that now binds our, our, our lives and our futures together is greater than the forces that try to seek to divide us. The power of God to unite his people will always be greater than the powers that seek to divide us, whether it's Satan, whether it's the world, whether it's disease, whether it's division in the church, none of it is a match for God's unifying power to bring us close. And so, as difficult and isolating as this season has been for all of us, and I don't want to downplay that, but I believe the gift that is being given to us right now, and a gift I really want to urge you to receive in this season, is a deep and growing appreciation for what God has given us in each other. And I think for some of us, maybe for the first time, we are beginning to like really feel that spiritual centripetal force pulling us back together again. And I think for some of us, we are for the first time able to say with conviction, I really miss my church. I, I love my church. I miss all the things that are the church. Just this last week, I was like scrolling back through pictures, just like a, a married couple would on their anniversary go back and look at their wedding album. I was like this like sad pastor just going and looking through pictures of this room and other rooms where we were once together. And I desire, and I hope you desire to be back together again. And I think that this is what the psalmist is expressing here in verse 3, he says, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, or as some of your translations read, closely compacted together. The psalmist is not celebrating the architecture of the city. The psalmist is celebrating the congestion of the people. That's what's got the, the, the heart of the psalmist so glad. He's, he's remembering these moments where the people are packed in shoulder to shoulder and, and gathered around God to worship God. It, it, he's celebrating that, that, that proximity, the, the kind that imposes on our comforts and, and on our personal space, but in the long run feeds our joy. Now, I want you to notice something in this psalm. The psalmist notes that all 12 tribes of Israel are present. All the tribes are present. And what this represents is 12 very different people groups all in one place, different cultures, uh, different dress, different accents, different ways of seeing the world, different uh, political leanings, different passions, different hobbies, different musical styles, just fill in the blank, 12 very distinctly different people groups, and yet they are gathered as one. A, a Chinese biblical scholar named Chao Chao Ishua uh, examined the biblical churches in the 
New Testament in historic Christianity and currently in Hong Kong. And she noted that the, the conflict that comes through our differences, the conflict that happens when different kinds of people come together, it shouldn't be seen as a threat to our unity, but she says a necessary means for unity. And she goes on to describe that this ongoing struggle and the effort to achieve unity in the midst of differences, that sometimes painful struggle to like just get along and to be unified with people that are different than us is actually what makes a church mature. It's the fight to be one that strengthens our spiritual muscles, so to speak. If unity was easy, then we would be weak. If unity was easy, we wouldn't be growing. Unity is difficult, but it's what it makes it beautiful. Proximity isn't comfortable. Proximity isn't free of, of conflict or struggle or even pain, but it is how we experience the unity that God creates through diversity, and it's how we put on full display God's glory to an extremely diverse world as we are one. Proximity to people. Lastly, what do we experience within? We experience protection from the enemy. Protection from the enemy. Now, the world is in disorder. I'm probably not gonna have to work very hard to convince you of that. And the Bible would describe why the world is in disorder is because of the presence of sin and rebellion towards God. And the world is a hostile, chaotic place. And right now for the church specifically, there's pressures to conform. There's persecution for the faith. And then let's not forget, like the ongoing reality, whether it's peaceful in the world or not, the enemy is always seeking to destroy us. There's never a day that we wake up where the enemy's like, eh, I'm just going to give him a rest. I'm going to give him a break today. The constant threat, the constant fiery darts of the enemy toward God's people. And yet the psalmist sings with confidence, may they be secure who love you, verse 7. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. Peace and security within. Now, a book that I reference often is C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. And the premise is really funny. Uh, it's a demon, uncle, writing to his nephew apprentice demon about all the various ways that the forces of hell seek to come against the Christian and to undermine our faith. And in one of the letters he's writing to his young apprentice about one of the strategies to come against Christians, and he says the strategy is to try to rid them of their commitment to the local church. And he says these striking words. He says, surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, well, then the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood or all over the internet looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or a connoisseur of churches. If you can't get them to stop going to church, get them to go to a bunch. In other words, what, what does the enemy want most for Christians? The enemy, what the enemy wants for you and, and for me and for reality 
is a faith that, that's detached. A faith that's sort of like just floating around, anchored to nothing, a free spirit, accountable to no one. A Christianity without walls. Why? Because a Christian is never more vulnerable to spiritual attack than when they are separated from a believing community. And I believe a Christian is never more separated from a believing community than when they are bouncing around multiple communities. Because to be everywhere at once is to be nowhere at all. And so among the many, many benefits of belonging to a church is protection. Protection, and that's what we see pictured here for us in Jerusalem, these walls, these fortified walls of, of refuge. See, historically, Jerusalem was a fortified city with these walls and the towers. And whenever the region would come under attack, the people outside of the city and the surrounding areas and the rural areas would flee and find refuge within the safety of the city. And so for us today, Jerusalem serves as a picture of the community of believers, those of us who are positioned amidst all of the hostilities of this world and against all of the spiritual attack, and yet, by God's grace, miraculously experiencing this strange shalom within, experiencing the peace that Jesus obtained for us through the cross. Hostility, chaos, conflict out here, and yet peace and refuge within. But we need to remember, peace is not the absence of conflict entirely. This isn't a peace that is free from discomfort. This is not a peace that is free from pain. The congestion of, of people being in proximity with each other brings with it just this like certain level of, of vulnerability. We're going to hurt each other's feelings. We're going to do things that wrong each other. We're going to need to repent and ask for forgiveness and, and forgive one another. We aren't promised this like protection from everything that bothers us. We aren't promised a, a risk-free environment where people will never disappoint us and never let us down and, and never even wound us. We are, however, promised protection from spiritual ruin. Now, a theologian of the past, hundreds of years ago, he wrote this book. His name is Thomas Brooks, and he, he wrote this book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And one of the devices of Satan that he mentions is trying to cause us to grow cold in our love and appreciation towards one another, really just to get us to be apathetic, and then through that apathy, growing small divisions. In other words, Jesus is like, or I'm sorry, Satan. Satan's like, I don't need them to like hate the church. I just need them to stop loving her and appreciating her and being committed to her. And then through that apathy and indifference, then introducing divisions that then breed and grow and become irreconcilable. But the remedy that he suggests that is ours in Jesus Christ, is to solemnly consider, he says, the love and union that makes most for our own safety and security. And then he says these words that I don't want, ever want you to forget. 
Write these down, commit them to memory. He says these words, we shall be invincible if we are inseparable. We shall be invincible if we are inseparable. If 2020 has taught me anything, it's to expect only more chaos and disruption in 2021. I have no idea what the future is going to bring. I don't know what kind of pressures are going to be upon the church in the seasons to come. I don't know how the enemy is going to attack and increase attack. I don't know these things. You don't either. But this I do know, that when we are inseparable, maintaining the unity and the bond of peace that is ours through the Holy Spirit, then we will be invincible. We're going to see some things. We're going to get beat up. We're going to walk out with some pretty crazy scars. But we will be invincible if we're inseparable. So let me conclude with this, verses 8 and 9. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. I will seek your good. I will seek not mine, but your good. And so the question I really want to ask you and, and, and cause you to consider especially in this season of, of separation and distance, is this. What are you seeking? You are seeking something. What is it? And the question that the Christian needs to really consider is this. Is it the good of the Christian community that God has graced me with? I know for a lot of us, it's just survival mode. This good that we're seeking is our own. We're just trying to make it through. I get that. I have sympathy for that. But God has called us to something higher than just holding down the fort and making sure we survive a crappy year like 2020. He's called us to seek the good of the community that God has brought us into. Now, you may be asking, how do we do that? That seems impossible. We're separated. We're splintered. We're like stuck in our homes and that sort of thing. Well, what's interesting about this psalm and, and what makes it extremely relevant to our current moment is that while it was written from within the city of Jerusalem, we're told by King David, but for many, many generations to follow, it was sung from outside of it. Remember, this is the Psalms of Ascent. These are the songs that we'd be sung on the spiritual journey, on that journey toward Jerusalem as they would come from near and far to gather to worship the living God and they would sing these songs. They would sing about being within the city from outside the city and even for many generations, the song would be sung from far, far away. Like during those 70 or so painful years of exile in Babylon where God's people were completely restricted from gathering. Far, far away, no building, no place where they could gather, no space to call home. But this never stopped them from singing about their love for God's house. This never stopped them from celebrating the life found within this community. This never stopped them from praying for the peace of God's people. This never stopped them from seeking the good of God's people. 
no matter how far away they were, distance was never an excuse to disconnect. And this obviously has so much meaning for us today as we find ourselves longing to be within the, the community of faith, face-to-face, in, in person. We're feeling the lack of whatever this digital experience is. I'm not, I'm not lying to you. This is not like our best. This is, not, this is not filling hearts with joy. Oh my gosh, I get to look at a screen another Sunday. Woo! I know for a lot of us, we're being tempted to just say, I'm just going to disconnect until things go back to normal. But I want to say it again. Distance is never an excuse to disconnect. And you are not the first generation of believers to feel that distance. This is so unique, and yet it's not. And what I want to encourage you with is this, that there are so many ways that right now we can experience this peace within and actively seek the good of God's people right now. A few ways that we can do this within reality is first through group life. You just heard it earlier announced in September, we're starting back up our community groups and our Bible studies. We're gonna have options for people in the city, outside the city, those who are wanting to meet in person, those who are not yet ready to meet in person online. There's gonna be no excuse for not getting connected in a group and being able to connect with other people. On top of this, there's the ongoing opportunity to become a member of reality through our belong process. This is an invitation that is open all the time. We had a big push earlier this year, but the invitation to become a member and belong at reality is always open. Take advantage of this. Also, continue to support the church through generosity by staying consistent. Friend, don't let fear and don't let economic instability determine your obedient worship of God. Don't let circumstances in your life determine how you give yourself to God and his people. And lastly, through prayer. I don't care who you are, where you are, the believer always has the opportunity to pray. I'll never forget a conversation I had with my my wife's grandmother, who's extremely old. And she says, "I'm, I'm anticipating the day where I will be completely debilitated. I won't be able to move, and I'll be stuck in a bed. But what I'm so excited about is undivided attention with God to intercede and pray on behalf of the people I love. As I'm stuck in that bed, I'll be present with the Lord and praying. I don't care where you are, what your circumstances, what restrictions you're facing right now, You have the glorious opportunity to seek the good of God's people through the powerful access of prayer. What is this season? Not a season to disconnect. It's an invitation to press in and press on for the believer. Now, I know for those who are just joining us today that are skeptical or non-believers and you're just kind of checking things out, This is an invitation for you as well. The walls of the community of faith are high. They're thick. And they keep out the threat of the enemy. But here's the glorious news of the gospel. The door is wide open to every weary traveler 
who would come by faith. And this season of social distancing does not need to be a season of loneliness because there's an invitation to you to trust in Christ and come and belong. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For-